Aljazeera podcast. Missiles from one country launch unprovoked strikes on a neighboring country. What do you think happens next? Well, since we're not talking about Ukraine, yeah, there wasn't an outpouring of Western indignation and support for the attacked state. You see, we're talking about Israeli strikes in September on Syria's Aleppo International Airport. And yes, that's now becoming, well, not unusual. Israel's been bombing tens if not hundreds of different targets across Syria in the last few years. So what's behind the continuing Israeli strikes and what does it mean for the rest of the region? Hello, good souls, and welcome to the Essential Middle East podcast. I'm Sami Zaydan. Well, let's discuss all of this now with our guest. My name is Hassan Barari. I'm a professor of international relations at Qatar University, and I'm joining you from Doha. So let's start with the first obvious one. Why is Israel bombing Aleppo Airport? Well, Israel has been bombing the Iranian targets in Syria for a long time. Breaking news at this hour, the Syrian military says that the runway in the Aleppo International Airport is out of service as a result of an Israeli airstrike. I mean, here was talking about 10 years, and every time they spot something that is threatening to them or threatening to their concept of security, They just go ahead and I think they have the backing of the Russian as well. So it sounds like the Israelis are not really targeting Syria or they're targeting more Iranian influence in Syria, right? Of course. What I want to say is that the Israelis have targeted the Syrian like years before, but here the intensity, the number of strikes against the Iranian targets are unprecedented. They've been targeting now for probably 10 years only Iranian targets because they want to prevent the consolidation of the Iranian presence in, in Syria. And they wanted to prevent the Iranians from transferring all kinds of missiles to their proxies in Lebanon. Here I'm talking about Hezbollah, especially when we talk about precision missiles. This is a very threatening and alarming for the Israelis. Moving on, Israel allegedly struck the Syrian coastal city of Tartus. The targets, according to reports, they were Iranian sites in Syria, an air defense system and a radar station. And it's emerged that all these reportedly situated near Russia's main naval base in the area. Interesting, the, the shift that's going on. Is there also a shift going on in what Israel's targeting? Whereby, I mean, they're not only striking warehouses now, but on wider infrastructure like runways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've been engaged in a shadow war. I mean, they even sabotage nuclear program. They assassinate nuclear scientists. They also launch cyber attacks against the Iranian facilities in, inside Iran. So for the Israelis, you know, it's all permissible for them to strike in Syria and Iran anywhere. So the shift by the Iranians, I think it has to do with the fact that they want to evade or even outfox the Israelis. But the Israelis have been watching them closely. But by that, do you mean like the Iranians have been supplying their militias or their allies amongst militias now more by air infrastructure rather than simply by roads? And that's why we're seeing the Israeli targets also or strikes shift. 
the Iranians have realized that the Israelis have been watching all the roads, so they wanted to use the airport and they use the sea as well. In Syria's major port city of Latakia, the sound of airstrikes thunder in the distance as fireballs light up the night sky. So in the Red Sea, for instance, the Israelis have been intercepting Iranian ships. So it is for them, it's a red line. Iran cannot consolidate its presence in Syria. Iran cannot transfer weapons to its militias, especially Hezbollah. Now, I'm wondering, can Israel justify its strikes using the same kind of mantra we hear from Russia and Ukraine that, hey, I'm protecting my interests, which are being threatened by how or who a neighboring country chooses to ally itself with? Well, I think the situation in Ukraine is totally different. Here, Israel perceives Iran as a strategic threat, as even an existential threat, especially when you're talking about the nuclear program. And Iran has announced days in, days out that Israel is illegitimate. So for them, they justify this for the public and they justify this for their allies, you know, the Americans, Europeans, they don't really criticize what Israel has been doing in Syria. Haven't we heard similar rhetorics on my argue, you know, Putin's speech where he was accused that that speech basically denied the legitimacy of the existence of Ukraine as an independent country? Aren't there some parallels at least here? Well, maybe, but I don't see it. Russia is an expansionist state. Well, Israel is as well. I'm not really defending Israel, but I'm saying that... It is occupying and has expanded and is currently occupying... Exactly, exactly, exactly. This is what I'm saying. They occupy also the Golan Heights, so even Syrian territory is being occupied by the Israelis. But here, Iran is far away from Israel, but Iranians' policies in the region have seen in Israel as threatening to them, and they believe that they have the right to move in and preempt. So the Israelis really don't care about what other people say or what other countries say. They have the backing of the European Union. They have the backing of America. They have the backing of some regional states here. I'm talking about even some Arab states. So who is criticizing Israel's attacks in Syria? A few countries around the world. Right. Did Israel achieve any strategic objectives by these strikes so far? Well, at least they have achieved some, but they have failed in deterring Iran. Iran is still doing the same tactic, is still sending the weapon, is still supporting their, its militias in Syria, still supporting Bashar Assad, and also still consolidating its presence in Syria. I would say there's some tactical success for the Israelis, but at the strategic level, I think there are a lot to be done to say there's success. And what about the timing? Is there any connection between the latest Israeli attack and American airstrikes that hit Iranian-linked targets in Syria? I think the American objectives in Syria are totally different from the Israelis. The Americans have been fighting terrorism, actually. ISIS or Daesh, uh, the main um, enemy for the Americans, they've been fighting this uh, movement. But the Israelis have different objectives in Syria. They want to keep Bashar as weak and they want to keep him away from the Iranians, or at least they want to prevent Syria from becoming a kind of a space for the Iranian to use in order to harass Israel. America is not being threatened by Iran anyway. I'm glad you mentioned that, because that kind of takes us then to the question of who is Israel warning other than Iran? There's a wider message here, right? Their main message is to Iran anyway, and also to Assad. You know, if he wants to survive without harassment, he needs to keep the Iranians away. Israel's real beef isn't with Syria, it's with Iran and Hezbollah, who both fight alongside Assad's forces. 
Israel says Tehran is providing Hezbollah with better weapons for its next war against it and believes Tehran is deliberately arranging ceasefires in de-escalation zones in southern Syria, so it will have a stronger presence near Israel's borders. But uh, Assad is in no position to dictate anything on the Iranians in Syria simply because his survival depends on their good intentions. Is there a message to Russia too, though? I don't see that, I mean, that really strong message simply because the Israelis have been targeting, striking everything inside Syria. I think with the blessing of the Russians, uh, the Russians have the missiles, they have the capability to harass the Israeli Air Force, but they are not doing that. I think they're even, they take advantage of that. They wanted to make it even difficult for the Iranians in Syria. There's a kind of competition between the Iranians and the Russians in Syria. I mean, this is obvious and everybody is taking notice of that. You make a good point there, Professor. Well, we've got to take a break now, but we will be back in a moment. Hello, I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, an original podcast by Al Jazeera. In season four, we carry on exploring the lives of history's most notable figures, from Rosa Parks to Pol Pot. We meet the people who changed the way we think about our world and those who left it marked by their infamy. Hindsight from Al Jazeera, wherever you get your podcasts. And are we seeing an uptick in Israeli strikes? I think there were two at least in September. Is it linked to developments, to progress in those talks for a resumption of the Iran nuclear deal? I don't see the link. The Israelis have been using in a diligent way, in a systematic way, has been using their air force and missiles in order to target the Iranians, regardless of what is happening with the, the talks, because they've targeted this before even the 2015 agreement and after that and after Trump withdraw from the agreement. And they continue doing the same. Every time they spot anything that would endanger them, they just move quickly. The deal has its own dynamics. So the Iranians have set some demands on the Americans, and the Americans said no. And that's why it, it's not really working these days. Right, but the Americans want to go ahead with a deal, regardless of what you know Israel does in terms of strikes. Is that what we're saying, basically? Yes, of course, but without the Iranians' demand. I mean, the American wants compliance for compliance. But the Iranians put two conditions. One of them has to do with the guarantees. But the Americans said those are not really part of the agreement in 2015, so they don't want to give Iran any way out of it. If a deal does happen, how will that impact this pattern of Israeli strikes on Iranian targets if Iran, you know, kind of Iran and Washington have made up somewhat? Well, I think they're going to upend these strikes because the Iranians will have a lot of money, you know, because the deal would give Iran like tens of billions of dollars. And they can use this in order to support and prop up their own militias in Yemen, in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon. And this is why the Israelis are not happy with the deal. It's not because the nuclear aspect is because it sets Iran free to continue its regional project. And this is where the problem between the Israelis and the Iranians, I think things will continue as they are happening right now. And if we look at what Israel is hitting and the sort of targets we believe or we think they're taking out in warehouses and stuff like that, is this about maintaining Israel's air superiority? They don't want too much rockets ending up in the hands of groups like Hezbollah. 
Of course, this is one of the problem. That's why they've been targeting the Iranian targets in Syria, even before the Arab Revolution, the Arab uprisings. In 2006, 2007, 2008, every time they spot any movement and shipment of weapon into Lebanon, they moved in quickly and they destroyed the targets and the convoys. This has been a policy adopted by the Israeli government, regardless who is in power, whether Netanyahu, Bennett, or even Lapid. And that range of targets it, geographically is spreading, right? What does that tell us about the spread of Iranian influence in Syria? Iran has a huge influence in Syria. And needless to say that without the Iranian intervention, I think Bashar Assad wouldn't have survived. So he is in debt to the Iranians. He can't do anything. He can't really deter them. And they have their own men in the ground at the same time. Does that mean that their network of influence has spread wider in Syria? Because we used to see, we used to hear about Israeli strikes primarily uh, on Damascus and the northwest of the country. And now you hear about it, like we're saying, you know, in Aleppo, coastal areas and so on. Well, they have their own militias everywhere, like in the south even. This is one of the problems for Jordan as well and also in the north, around Damascus, particularly in the way to Lebanon, because they want to link with Hezbollah. Is this because of the war in Syria? Is that why Iran's influence and infrastructure has grown? Yes, of course. The war gave them the golden opportunity in order to invest in their military infrastructure in Syria and also to link deeply with their own militias and proxies. So it doesn't sound like these Israeli strikes have really disrupted Iran's ability to supply and arm its allies then. Exactly. It's to embarrass them, to prevent them from positioning themselves in Syria. They have a problem with any consolidation of Iranian presence in Syria, and they see all these militias as tools. So they hit the tools, and they also they try to hit Iran inside. You have seen a lot of attacks. They sabotage the nuclear program, they assassinate even nuclear scientists, but also the cyber attacks in the sea. They have been targeting Iranians everywhere. As I told you, it's a war between the war from the Israeli perspective. They've been engaged in a shadow war where everything is, hitting everything is legitimate for the Israelis as long as it serves their own perspective of national security. Got to ask the question then, how much influence does Iran have in Syria right now? Like, do they ultimately call the shots? What about Russia? What about Bashar al-Assad? Well, I think they call the shots because they're stronger than the Russians on the ground. And I think now with the war in Ukraine, so the Russian influence... They're kind of distracted. ...has declined a little bit, declined. And this, you know, this would be translated into a more Iranian influence. Now, Bashar knows pretty well that the Iranians are on the ground to help him, not the Russians. The Russians have done their duty, they've done their job. But now they have a bigger problem in, in Ukraine, especially with the latest strategic setbacks of the Russian forces. And... I know we're talking a lot about Israel and Iran, Israel and Iran, but there is a bigger struggle going on, right, that involves Saudi Arabia, the UAE, being seen at least to be on the same side as Israel versus Iran, of right? Of course, yes. And that's why all the normalization agreements between Bahrain, Israel, United Arab Emirates, Israel, because it's actually not only normalization, it's way more than that, it's even alliance. Uh, because the source of threats is Iran for all these countries, including Saudi Arabia. What about the world's superpowers? You know, obviously the US is on Israel's side. Yeah. Russia, is its position, okay, go ahead and hit Iran? They're supposed to be allies with Iran in the war. Well, I don't think that Russia is a superpower anyway. Russia has its own problems, regional uh, dominant power, probably in part of Europe. It has really too much on its plate. Now it has Ukraine, especially with the setbacks. I don't know how Putin's going to 
handle the whole situation. I don't think that he has enough time in order to support Iran. But can Israel make strikes without notifying Russia? There's supposed to be a deconfliction, I think they call it, mechanism, right? Well, they use the friend's enemy code, I think, and they target Iranian with the blessing of the Russians. So if the Russians want to turn against the Israelis, they're going to have problems in flying over Syria. In this case, I don't know what's going to happen. Israel would continue and probably destroying the Russian missiles or they comply with Russian presence in Syria. So it remains to be seen. I really don't know what's, what's going to happen. Russia removed its S-300 missile defense systems from the area in order to bolster its own forces in Ukraine. But by doing this, Israel was able to swiftly take advantage. The Mesaf and Hama areas, which were targeted, being the primary center for Syrian and Iranian production of rockets and precision-guided missiles. But it sounds like you're saying there must be some level of Russian complicity then, or, or at least turning a blind eye when Israel strikes in Syria. They did all the time. I think they're going to continue doing this simply because the the Israeli strikes help Russia actually have the upper hand in Syria. But how do the Iranians feel about that? Aren't they turning around to Moscow and saying, hey, hang on a moment, we're supposed to be allies in the, in the war in Syria. I think there's even reports that they may be helping Russia in the war in Ukraine too with drones. I think they did in their meetings, but at the same time, I don't think it was or it is in the best interest of Russia to have a war with Israel. And this would change mm. whole dynamics. I mean, its presence in Syria would be a risk. And the Iranians understand right. pretty well that the that Russia has like sometimes conflicting interests in this part of the world. So they can't have the Russian do whatever they wanted them to do. Where does all this stand with international law? Russia strongly condemned the provocative Israeli attack against civilian infrastructure. A spokesperson for Russia's foreign ministry warned that continued Israeli air attacks on Syrian territory would be an absolute violation of international norms. The idea of a country constantly attacking over the borders of another country. I mean, if we flip the scenario, if it was Syria attacking targets in Israel that they felt threatened their security or an Arab country doing that to targets in Israel, Probably would expect a slightly different reaction from the world, especially from the West. Well, there's a lot of hypocrisy going around in the world, especially from the West. I mean, they see Israel as having the right to self-defense, and they see Iranians have been trying to change the status quo in the region. And for this reason, I think they support what Israel has been doing. The international law is, I think, the victim. I mean, international law is being used when it serves the interests of great powers. But when it comes to weaker uh, states or small states, and I think the international law is the victim, unless this impacts directly the interests of great powers. This is a problem, and that's why many people around in the Middle East have, are having a problem with the Western policies in the region. They see them as hypocrites. And is there a bit of a vacuum going on? Is that why we're seeing attempts by countries like Israel to try and fill a vacuum left by declining U.S.? I don't know if commitment's the right word, maybe interest or involvement? Well, this is one of the explanations. I think since Obama came into power and he announced what he called pivot to the East, uh, there was a perception in, in the Middle East that uh, America was declining or disengaging from the region. And for this reason, they need to build coalition. And Israel uh, probably uh, fill in for the Americans. Israel is seen as, the, uh, as a powerful country in terms of military, and they can stand up to the Iranians. And the Gulfi countries, and here I'm talking about United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Saudi Arabia, they have vested interest in uh, keeping Israel on their side. 
um, uh, we've seen this, you know, we've seen this uh, playing out clearly in, in, uh, over the last five, six years. Now I'm going to ask you to get out your crystal ball, Professor. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. It's not that I ask you for anything difficult. Well, give us your prediction. What's the end game here? The end game, they're going to continue. I think Israelis will have what I call a low-intensity warfare with Iran. Will this reach a point where they have a full scale? I really rule this out for two reasons. A, I don't think that Israel has a military option to defeat Iran completely. And Iran doesn't have the interest of facing Israel and then probably by extension facing other great powers. The game, I think, is going to continue unless something happens. I really can't predict anything else. But a war, like a full-scale war, I really rule out like probably in three, four years to come. I think we're going to continue seeing a low-intensity warfare. All right, it's been a great chat. Thank you so much, Professor. Thank you, Sammy. And thank you for listening. This episode was produced by Salem el our research was done by intern Nada Shakir. Sound design was by George Elwir. And I should mention our engagement team is led by our producer Ayal Malik and assistant engagement producer Munira Dusari. Of course, our executive producer is Omar Saleh and Al Jazeera's head of audio is Nayal Vares. I'm your host, Sami Zaydan. Thanks for joining us. Hold up. 